Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. The show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. So it's already been three episodes. We're already three episodes into the show. And thank you for tuning in again. Welcome back. So I've already introduced the first three of the Valar. Manway, Aule, Olmo. I wanted to take this episode to pause in our story, at least for the most part. We've introduced the creation of the world, the beginning of time. And the focus of this episode is introducing the rest of the Valar. And it's a little bit hard to talk about them outside of some of the things that they actually do in the rest of the story. And this is something that I debate internally when thinking about how to talk about them without covering some of the things that already happen later in the story. But I guess spoilers, <laughs> there's not really a way to, to, to say that. And it's, you know, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that you, you debate as a storyteller. Like, do, do I, do I tell you only what they are capable of without actually telling you what happens later in the story? And I think, I think in this episode, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and tell you more about the characters and what happens later in the story in order to give you a more full picture of the Valar and what they actually do. So if that if that ruins it for you in some in some way, then I guess skip the episode. I don't know. I don't know the best way to say it, because it. This being a lore cast is more about getting the information in your head and less about telling the story in order. I think that's where I come down on this. If you want to read the story in order, then read the Silmarillion. I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. But if you want to get the information and put it in your head, then then you should be listening to this. So ultimately, that's what it comes down to. So let's let's dig into it. You guys remember Manway, right? Manway the air, the sky, the Lord of the Valar. Well, with each of these characters, they have relationships to each other. They have relationships to Iluvatar and even to the song and the things that happened before they come down into the world. One of those characters is Varda, which sounds very similar to Arda being the name of the world. Varda, the Lady of the Stars who knows all the regions of Ea. She's so great in her beauty because it's said that the light of Aluvatar shines directly in her face. In light, 
is her power and her joy. And I have some thoughts about Light and Varda and her name and those kinds of things. And I'm going to go into that in the extended extra episode stuff for the Patreon. But I, I love this. I love Varda and her relationship with Manway here. She is the wife of Manway. They are inherently connected together. And she she is wise as well. Manway is wise. He's close to the to the knowledge of Iluvatar, but Varda as well, both of them. And notice she is of the stars. Manway is of the sky, but she is is even higher in some sense than Manway is, being that she is of the stars. And she is one of the first, if not the first, to to be suspicious of Melkor. And Melkor hates her because of this. She is inherently aware that he is up to no good. She calls it like way before anybody else does. She doesn't fall for his tricks. Basically, she is the light that points out that he is trying to do things in the dark. And I love the symbolism there. She's also known by the name Elbereth, and this might sound familiar to you because the name Elbereth shows up in the Lord of the Rings, and specifically in the, I believe it's the chapter Many Meetings, which is the first chapter of the second book of the, the, uh, the Lord of the Rings. It's uh, when Frodo wakes up. He's in the house of Elrond, and the elves are singing, and... The first line is a Elbereth Githoniel and translated. This is O Elbereth star kindler glittering slants down, sparkling like jewels from firmament glory of the star host to remote distance after having gazed from tree tangled middle lands on the side of ocean here, the, the great ocean Fanulos to thee. I will chant on this side of ocean here, the great ocean. They are singing a song of worship to Varda, which is freaking amazing. Now, remember on a previous episode, I noted the question about worship of these powers of these gods and how rare it seems to be, especially among the men of Middle Earth, but here we have a specific moment in the Lord of the Rings, in the Fellowship of the Ring, where the elves are actually worshiping Varda right in front of Frodo. They're singing a song of worship. And this is this moment is is awesome. And Varda is one of the ones that actually gets worshiped the most. And it makes sense once we'll get to moments of the elves and the elves coming into being and how they see the stars and the stars are so important to them. This is something that shows up later on when the elves are actually introduced by the Iluvatar because they're the children of the Iluvatar. And that's the first thing they see are the stars. And so Varda is very important to them because she's the lady of the stars. And the light of the stars is very important. Think Galadriel's file the light of the stars in the file itself. Very, very important. Um, and then also 
other concepts like the trees themselves. And if you are familiar with any of the stories, the trees, the um, the trees and the, the globes that light the earth. This is other stories that we'll get to in the future, representing the sun and the moon, the light of those things connecting to the light of the stars, all of that stuff. Light itself is almost directly related to Varda. Amazing stuff. So Varda, very powerful, very beautiful, and a favorite of the elves. Now, we talked about how the Valar working together are greater than, than they are alone. We talked about, say, uh, Olmo and Manwe working together to create rain and snow. Well, when Varda and Manwe are together, and they almost always are, Manwe can see further. And Varda comes to Manwe's side, especially against Melkor. And Melkor hates it. <laughs> he just hates Varda for this. And she's the first to come to his side. And the last thing of note here is that they they stay in Valinar. They stay on top of the the mountain. Um, and I'm going to mess up the pronunciation. I've noted this before. I am not a great pronunciator of words in general. Pronunciator? I, I can't even say that word. Of But especially Tolkien's pronunciations. I, uh, I, I'm just not. In fact, the word Tolkien is probably mispronounced. But anyway, Oelose, maybe, is the name of the mountain. And Teniquitel is the tower on top of the mountain that they for the most part, stay in together. Manwe creates the eagles. The eagles themselves are a creation of Manwe. They are not a creation, and later on we'll talk about the creation of other animals. They are not a creation of another of the Valar. Manwe himself is tied to the eagles. And Varda and Manwe stay on top of the tower. Olmo, who's the next one we're going to refresh you on of course Olmo of the waters and the ocean doesn't stay in Valinar he travels and he as is just like the ocean just like the sea is as terrible and as unpredictable as the ocean itself which is why other than Varda Melkor hates Olmo Probably more than Varda because he's powerful and unpredictable. And he doesn't just stay in one place. And he's also a friend of the children of the Iluvatar. Because you can use the ocean to travel and communicate at great distances. The other thing that's noted here is that although the trumpets of Manwe are loud, you can you can take and move sound across vast distances of air. Olmo's voice is as deep as the depths of the ocean, which only he has seen, which is a wonderful analogy. I love that. Another thing about Olmo that's super interesting is that he's the only of the Vala who never takes a wife. He's a lifelong bachelor. <laughs> he's, I guess he's too unpredictable. Uh, but yeah, ne never gets married. 
Of course, next is Aule, who we mentioned before. The uh, Basically, he's the crafter. He's the builder. He's the maker. The earth itself is tied to Aule. The materials of the earth, the minerals, the ore, those kinds of things. And this probably won't come as a surprise, but the dwarves worship Aule. And they not only worship Aule because he's a crafter, but he's actually their creator. And you might find this as a surprise, but he himself wanted to be so much like the Iluvatar that he decided to create his own children. And we'll get into this story in the future, but before the coming of the children, he had created the dwarves, but they weren't ready. And there's a whole story about how they were put aside and frozen, basically, until after the coming of the children, when they were woken from their sleep, and then they were able to come out and given life by Iluvatar. Because Aule, unlike Melkor, submitted all of his creation, all of the things that he made, to the will of the Iluvatar. And he gave up everything in order to stay within the will of the Iluvatar. And the Iluvatar, or Iluvatar, I always say the Iluvatar. Iluvatar himself saw the, the um, I don't know if honor is the right word, but saw the, the, the spirit of this. He saw that Aule was willing to sacrifice his own wants when it really came down to it. And he was willing to destroy his creation in order to stay in line with the will of his father. Kind of biblical when you think about it. And that's a distinct difference between Ale and Melkor, whereas Melkor is not willing to do that. And both of them are master craftsmen. Ale himself is married to Yavanna. And Yavanna is the giver of fruits. She's the lover of all things that grow on the earth. And you can see how those two things are tied together. She holds all of their forms in her mind, all of the trees, all of the forests, all of the moss that grows on the stones. And it says in the Silmarillion, in reverence, Yavanna is next to Varda among the queens of the Valar. And this is a phrase that I didn't note before. There are the lords of the Valar, the male Valar, or the male Vala, and then there are the queens of the Valar, the, the female Vala. And when she is in the form of a woman, she is tall and robed in green, but sometimes she does take other shapes. And this is interesting because she does like to go into the world among the things that she creates. Others have seen her standing like a tree under heaven, crowned with the sun. And from all its branches, there spilt a golden dew upon the barren earth. And it grew green with corn, but the roots of the tree were in the waters of Almo, and the winds of Manway spoke in its leaves. See how she's still connected to these other Vala. Kementari, queen of the earth, she is surnamed in the Eldarin tongue. And speaking of forests, we have another of the Vala. We have 
Orome, who is the hunter. And now we're getting to less elemental types here. A hunter. We have things like air and water and those kinds of things. Now we have hunting, right? This seems different, right? And there's something about hunting when you think about humankind and the things that keep people alive. This idea of growing crops, but then also hunting. It makes sense when from a, a fundamental human existence standpoint. Orome is the hunter. And Orome is interesting. He's He likes to stay among the wooded realms. So there is some connection there to Yavanna. But his wife is Vana, which sounds very similar. It's, uh, it's It means beautiful one. And she was the sister of Yavanna. And the two are kind of tied together here. Vana is the beautiful one. She was the the queen of the flowers. She was connected to giving life to nature and beauty, those kinds of things. So Orome is the hunter of the forest and is married to the beautiful one, the one that brings about life to the flowers and to nature. Those two things are, again, kind of connected in the mind of Tolkien in this sort of interesting way in hunting you have the maintaining of life of the hunter in a way you don't hunt to murder you hunt to feed yourself and in the forest you grow plants plants especially flowers are blooming in order to maintain the life cycle of other plants. That's why things flower. It has to do with the life cycle of plants and they happen to be beautiful. And again, in order to maintain the life cycle of other things, hunting is part of the life cycle. Plants and flowers are part of a life cycle. Do you see the connection there? So these two Valar both have to do with natural life cycles. These two things are connected. And Orome was also the one who stayed in the forests when most of the Valar retreated to Valinor. In fact, he was the one that stayed out in the world long enough to report on the coming of the elves. Because the elves, when they are brought into the world, don't just show up in Valinor. The Iluvatar decides to bring them about in Middle-earth at a time and a place that the Valar are unaware of. And Orome stumbles upon them while he's out hunting in the forest. And he's amazed when he sees them. And he comes back and reports to the other Valar, hey, I found something wonderful and new and interesting. And I think it comes from our father. And there's something about that that kind of gives me chills. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love 
Marvel comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, a bunch of other items. It is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out. Click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, MAXPOOL. Don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. So this time we're taking a break in the middle of the show to say our thank you to our patrons. So thank you to our patrons for supporting the show. And especially thank you to our new patron, Brad S., for signing up. I hope you are enjoying the ad-free version of these episodes. And uh, thank you to our other patrons. We have four patrons now who are signed up and um, enjoying these episodes and some of the bonus episodes as well. If you're interested in joining us on the Patreon, getting ad-free episodes, or, or even a bonus episode with every regular episode, then head over to patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast. And also, thank you to those of you who are taking the time to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Um, Man, we've got some five-star reviews now coming in. And this one came in just recently over the last week from Kim RN30 in the United States who wrote, I'll pick up what you put down. Five stars. You can feel the history of Tom's life has brought him here. Short and sweet. Thank you, Kim, for that review. I really do appreciate it. And to all of you who have taken the time to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, uh, and if you do put in five stars and some words, I will read out your review as a thank you on a future episode of the show. And also, if you're listening on Spotify, you can leave a five-star review on there as well. It definitely helps get this show noticed. It pushes us up in the rankings when people search Lord of the Rings or Tolkien or, or whatever. And just even word of mouth is helpful in getting word out about the show. In just the last two weeks, having two episodes out, we've already hit over 500 downloads. Holy moly. Thank you to everybody. You guys are are the best. And I really do appreciate the support. It is so nice to hear some kind words, to get some support from you guys. Uh, Just from, from the stance of a content creator, putting out a bunch of more or less free content for for everybody and kind of pouring your heart into a project it the the slightest little bit of just thank you or anything like this means the world because it does take a lot of work it does take a lot of time and even even if you can't support on the patreon just the the smallest amount of kindness for a little bit of enjoyment 
really does mean a lot. So thank you so much. But I'm not going to take any more of your time in the middle of the show here. Let's get back to the rest of the episode because we've got a bunch more Valar to talk about. Here we go. So here's a name that you don't hear very often among the Valar, Nemo, who's more often called Mandos by the elves. This may be familiar to you from the term the Halls of Mandos, which is where the elves' souls go when they die. And this is a concept that Tolkien dealt with and struggled with until until his death. And this comes up in some of those interviews I mentioned on a previous episode of the show, this concept that the elves are tied to existence. They're tied to the world. They're tied to Arda. Their souls don't go off away from existence. They're not meant to leave. And so when they die, their souls go to the halls of Mandos and Mandos job is judgment of the spirits, judgment of the elven dead. He pronounces their dooms. And the word doom in Tolkien isn't just judgment, it's also determination of future. And it's not, that's not really the way we use it so much in the modern sense or postmodern sense. It's an interesting use of the word. But Mandos himself oversees the souls of the dead and even has some control over what happens with those souls, as we'll talk about in some future episodes. And Mandos, like the other Vala, is married, except for, of course, Olmo. And his wife is Vere. And Vere is the weaver. The weaver of the story of Arda. And I love that the, the very story, the very history of everything is being written down by one of the Valar themselves, that she is the writer. The, she is taking the memory of everything and writing it down and me memorizing it. Somebody has to actually write this down. It is not like there is an all-seeing eye, an all-seeing God figure who is just encapsulating all of this in their brain. In Tolkien's conception of existence, somebody has to write this down so that it is remembered. Because all of this information cannot fit in just one being's head. It has to be recorded somewhere. And that somewhere is in the halls of Mandos. She hangs out with Nemo, Mandos, in his halls and decorates the walls with her writings. With her storied webs of history, the passages of time are woven tapestries expanded and they clothe the walls 
of the halls of the dead. And the picture I, I get is that when the souls of the elves finally retire, and usually because they've been killed, and sometimes because they die of things like sadness, they retire to the halls of Mandos. And it is there that they not only can go back and read about their own histories, and sometimes their own failings, and sometimes their most miserable or cringeworthy experiences of themselves, but everybody else as well, but they can still see the things that are playing out in the rest of the world because Vare herself is still writing them down with them right there. It's like they can still watch the rest of the world play out from inside the halls of Mandos itself. It's such a cool idea when you think about what that actually means if you were actually there. Very, very cool. The next pairing we have are Ermo and Este. Ermo, the Desirer, and the Vala of Dreams, and Este, the Vala responsible for healing of the hurt and the weary. And again, you can see the pairing here. Irma, the male, the Ainu who deals with dreams and desire. Also known, and this name will be familiar to you, Lorien. Because there was a place named after Irmo, which was very dreamlike to many of those who came into its fold. And Irmo was the younger brother of Nemo, because dreams and death have similarities. Some would even say that sleep is like a little death. Many times it's in our sleep that our deepest desires are known. It's in those dreams and maybe even our nightmares that we can truly understand what it is that our heart wants or fears. It was understood that Lorien, Ermo, did not work openly. He was kind of a private type, right? His power was generally not seen and not flaunted out in the open. Even among the wise, the wisest of the elves, the Istari, the wizards. And there's a reason why in Tolkien's writings and say like the Lord of the Rings, dreams seem to portend things of the future or at least deeper insights into the characters. And that may have something to do with Irmo. Now, similarly to dreaming, dreaming happens in sleep and oftentimes in sleep can be healing. And that's where Este comes in. And there's some interesting things here going on with Este. So she in Valinor, would sleep upon an island of the tree-shadowed lake of Laurelin. She, she was in a very somber, serene location. And this area had fountains, and it was a very calm location that the Valar themselves often came to 
to find easing, refreshment. They themselves were often concerned and worried for the direction the world would be going in or burdens they, they themselves would have. And they would come to Este themselves to find healing for their hurt and their weariness. That's how potent that kind of sleep was. Now we have one more pair and one more individual to go over. We have Tolkis, who is the strong and the steadfast. He is the wrestler. He is the mighty. He is the one who struggled physically against Melkor the most. And he was the last to come into Arda. He was kind of the last battle guy. He was the uh, he was the tag team dude they needed when it really came down to it and things were going bad and they really needed to pull in some some heavyweight power to really flip the scales against Melkor. Think of him like that. Other than that, I don't really know what he represents. He's not like the god of war so much as he's just the big dude they needed to call in when things were going rough. That's kind of his place in all of this. Now, he's married to Nessa. Nessa simply means young. And she was notable for her speed and being fast. So kind of like the Flash, Nessa the Swift is what she was known as. She was swift of foot. She loved swift creatures like deer. And she loved the wild regions. She would outrun the deer with great speed, those kinds of things. And she was also known as the Dancer. She loved movement and grace. And she would gather in the spring and dance. And she was the sister-in-law of Vena. So this means Tolkis was Vena's sister, but being that she was Nessa was Vena's sister-in-law, she would dress her with flowers. And so you'd have this dancing beauty dressed in flowers representing the springtime and, and those kinds of things. It's almost a, uh, a celebration symbolism. The celebration of victory and competition is kind of what I see in Nessa. This idea that it's okay to celebrate strength with beauty and it's okay to celebrate beauty and youth and vibrance and, and those kinds of things. That seems to be what I, what I gather with Nessa for the most part. Now we have one left to talk about, and I think this one is probably the most interesting. Nienna, the weeper, the lady of mercy. She is the sister of Mandos and Ermo. She has no spouse. She's the lady of mercy. She's responsible for both mercy and grief that's spread across Arda. Her part in the music was the deep sadness. And I talked about this on the previous episode, the, the idea that beauty comes from the sadness and the idea here that Tolkien himself added a Vala whose sole role 
was to understand grief. Grief itself. And I have questions about that on a personal level. But this idea that she was concerned about mourning. That she mourned for the creation. For reality. Is interesting to me. Because terrible things do happen. Melkor is in the world sowing discord. And Nina is a direct response to that. It's like she's there to validate that that is a thing. And that that's not to be ignored. And maybe that's not okay. But at least it's understood. And that those who are suffering are not alone because she's there with them. And what's most interesting about Nina or Niana, I think maybe it's Niana, is that Gandalf himself, the wizards were Maiar, who were like minor spirits. They're the Valar were the greater spirits, the Maiar are the minor spirits. Before the wizards were sent off into Middle-earth, they were Maiar. And the Maiar hung out with specific Valar. They were tied to certain Valar. And Gandalf was Nienna's primary Maya. He spent time with Nienna more than any of the other Valar. Gandalf understood suffering. He empathized. And although in the Lord of the Rings, you see Gandalf as this kind of curmudgeonly old man who's just like, you know, suck it up. Let's do it. We got to move on. In his actions, he visits all of the different peoples. He understands their plights. He stands with them. He doesn't live in a tower. He doesn't separate himself from everyone. He stands with them. And that comes from Nienna. And that makes him different. And Tolkien understood the importance of grief and suffering. And the beauty of compassion. So that's our Valar. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Of course, we're going to dig more in next week. So stay tuned for more stuff. We'll get into how the history plays out. What's going on with Valinar. And of course why Melkor comes to be named Morgoth. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.